Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live, and tonight we are joined by writer, director, producer, actor, David Espinosa. David, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that is our pleasure. We're going to have some fun tonight. Get to talk uh, talk about some horror, some filmmaking, and whatnot. Now, looking at your resume, David, it looks like you started uh, your acting career back in the late 80s. And then you stepped away from the industry for a while. So did you just find that Hollywood was not the place for you at that point in time and you came back? Well, actually, I started before that. But professionally, yes, you're right, in the 80s after I got out of UCLA. And what really swayed my opinion as to where my career was going was I was having babies. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I guessed it. <laughs> And I thought, you know, I was living in L.A. and I was like, oh, man, do I want my kids to grow up in L.A.? I, you know, I loved what I was doing. But I've been raised in a family that uh, pretty dedicated parents and uh, my role model. Uh, so for me, it was like I have to be a dad first. That was my primary responsibilities. And I was actually working in theater and getting my own plays produced, which was pretty cool. I was getting paid to direct my own stuff. I was very excited, but I wasn't making any money. And uh, I, I couldn't keep it going. I was getting some commercial work. I was getting things happening, but I wasn't making any money to support my family and myself. I hear you. So I ended up uh, going to law school. Nice. <laughs> well. So you're a lawyer? I mean. <laughs> well, well I, I got out of law school, all right? And I never intended to become a lawyer. I intended to study law so that I could... Uh, understand entertainment law, labor law, contracts, stuff of that nature to strengthen my position. You see, I've always been the kind of guy that wanted to do the stuff. I didn't want to just be the actor. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to write. Uh, I, I have this prolific imagination, and, and I'm always coming up with ideas out of nowhere. I don't know why. And I write a lot, uh, a lot of cheesy poetry, uh, short stories, uh, scripts, uh, plays, uh, uh, novels. Uh, I write a lot. And it, I just thought, why can't I do the whole movie? And not that I thought I could. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, man, I'm so talented. I got so many skills. I can do it all by myself. That's not it. No. Uh, I had an imagination that wouldn't stop. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I can't find parts for myself. I can't get good roles. And not that I'm a great actor, but I felt I was good enough to be a commercial actor, mm -hmm. you know, work in the industry. And it just wasn't happening. And so I, you know, one thing leads to another, man. Next thing you know, you're in a law firm and uh, you're doing personal injury and uh, contracts and uh, stuff like that and uh, then i'm teaching and uh, you know it, it, life takes you down the stream and you just better know how to paddle and avoid the rocks exactly so <laughs> is your story similar to mine you know at the age of 45 my kids are now teenagers i've got three of them and i'm like you know they don't need taken care of anymore so i started doing this do you have a pretty similar story to that uh, yeah, kind of. But my son was involved with me in a lot of things. He was promoting raves at the time when raves were really heavy going on. My son was a young man. 
uh, out of high school, and uh, he was doing that quite successfully. Ironically, it was kind of strange. I got involved in music, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we I was involved with a jazz band, and we were playing original stuff, and next thing I know, I'm playing at these raves. It was kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Meanwhile, during the week, I'm going to law firm, right? Uh, This need to produce art, to be involved in art, it's not a choice, as you probably know. Yeah. It's sort of like a passion that draws you in. Yeah, or forces you to expel it out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) One or the other. And I, I think with me, it's more of an expulsion uh, of it uh, than anything else because I, I have to do it. I uh, I paint, I write, I play music, uh, uh, and not that I'm any good at any of it, but I certainly do it all, and I enjoy doing it. And uh, it, uh, With films, I get all of that. Yeah. Now, uh, now, being a lawyer, a lot of people don't realize that, in, in my opinion, entertainment law is probably one of the hardest fields in law. Uh, to come because there are so many moving factors. Do you believe it gave you a leg up in the industry? Uh, I think it certainly has helped my partner and I in understanding our position in the indie film industry and how to negotiate ourselves in a practical manner as a business. One of the things that CRA Entertainment, our company, uh, that I think one of the things that sets us apart from a lot of startup indie companies is that we do have an understanding of business yeah. uh, my partner is a, you know he was a business banker a mortgage banker for 28 30 years uh, he's also a professional actor sag after etc award-winning filmmaker uh, we understand both sides yeah and and that's the difference straight out and uh you know Having this creative talent, having this knowledge of law, uh, I'm, I assume you built up a lot of contacts over the years that when you were ready to come back into the industry, there were a lot of people, connections that you have made that you could turn to. Well, you know, yes and no. It's kind of strange because law is a very clannish uh, environment. You know, lawyers hang with lawyers and talk about law things and, and work towards that because the nature of the business is such or the profession, pardon me, is such, it demands full attention. And that's why you get specialties. So I know a lot of people in these specialties, but they have nothing to do with what I do now. Yeah. And and that it's it's kind of strange, you know, and you meet people in different businesses. I also hold a real estate license in Hawaii. Uh, I was selling real estate over there for a while. I lived in Hawaii for a number of years there. And uh, all these different things that you do, enterprises, if you will, uh, always involve people and different types of people in different industry. That collectively has certainly helped us and helped me. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about the evil down the street. All right. Uh, (laughs) You wrote it, directed, you were a producer and you were an actor in it. Uh, Well, I, I didn't write it. Let me just make that correction. Okay. What I did was I co-wrote it. My partner, Craig Aarons, wrote the original script. And when I first met him, 
he brought this script to me and asked me if I'd read it. And I said, okay, and I read it. And, and he asked me for a critique. And I said, well, do you want a critique or a compliment? And he said, well, I really want a critique. What do you think? <laughs> I said, well, I think you, if it's based on a true story, I, I think you got a couple of things here that may not work. Uh, and he said, well, why don't you go ahead and have at it a little bit and make some suggestions? So we tweaked it a little bit between the two of us. And uh, we tweaked it enough where he asked, he, he, well, he just told me straight up, he goes, I'm going to put you as a co-writer at this point. Oh, I said, well, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, and yes, I did direct it. Uh, and I did act it. I played Father Bob mm-hmm. in it, the notorious Father Bob. Uh, yep. uh, and uh, co-produced it with Craig. But as a producing entity, I have to say my partner uh, certainly was the lead in that. He, he took the, and takes and still does take the lead in that responsibility as a producer. Now, you are, you just mentioned a while ago, you're a big writer. You've been writing for a while. Um, is writing, out of all the things, whether it's directing, acting, or writing, what would you say is your biggest passion? Would you say that it lies in writing? Wow, I've never been asked that. That's a good question. I've never even thought about that. That's, that's, wow. Uh, as I sit here and weigh and balance these things, right, uh, the horns of the dilemma, as I sit and weigh and balance these two things, thinking about them, uh, without the writing, there is no directing, unless I'm directing somebody else's stuff, which I've done. I love directing. Uh, There's a certain amount of focused energy with directing that you don't get. But then again, writing has such a a, a creative channel uh, I, I i don't know you know uh, it's just separate beasts altogether yeah they're two different processes totally you know because when i'm directing i'm working with actors and my job is helping the actors find the truth yeah within the character and be able to say those lines given that truth uh, so it's a different focus than when i'm writing when i'm writing i'm thinking about other elements. I'm thinking about plot. I'm thinking about character development, thematics, uh, understanding or statements involved in it. I'm thinking about action, uh, a conflict, uh, basically conflict in every scene, etc. And does it make sense? So there, there are two different approaches to it. Uh, that's, I think, why I love uh, doing this so much, because I, artistically, I've never had anything that's involved so many complex artistic elements and people. And that's the other part. It's not me. It's the beauty of watching all these people come together. And it's like they all of a sudden everybody sees it and they're like, yeah, and it's this and the lights this way and the sound. It's amazing to me. I, 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 every time I see it, I not only get shivers of fright, uh, <laughs> but I get thrilled as well. <laughs> so take us back to the first film you ever directed uh what kind of experience did you have when you first took on that role behind the camera wow that was a crazy one uh it was was a crazy one i was involved with the film that i first got involved as an actor uh i saw this poster for this film that was being developed and the character portrayed looked so honest and real Mm -hmm. i was like wow that looks so interesting i I was blown away by it uh given the subject matter and the character 
So I actually contacted them. I said, hey, and this is what I do and who I am. Uh, you know, if you think I might be of value, uh, give me a call. They auditioned me for a part that they wanted me to do, one of the principal roles. Uh, I got cast in it. Wow. And uh, when I started working on the film in about three, in about two weeks, the director took a hiatus. <laughs> in the middle of the film. Yeah, for whatever reason. I'm not sure. I soon found out down the line, but uh, a year later, next thing I know, I'm asked if I would be interested in directing the film. Uh, because in, in being on set with people, you watch what's happening, especially when you see there's some issues. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to say, well, maybe they should do this. <laughs> or try that. You know, pretty soon people are going, hey, uh, uh, what would you do? <clears throat> and next thing I know, I'm directing this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll be real honest with you. I was never taught film directing in any academic environment. I was trained as a stage director and actor. Mm -hmm. That was my training, uh, straight out. Yeah. And heavy Stanislavski and approaches. But I was trained also as a director by film directors. I don't know, I'm going to really date myself here. Uh, have you ever heard of a director named Michael Gordon? Yeah, 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 I did. I have, actually. He's an he's, he's passed away now, yeah. unfortunately. But he directed all the old Pillow Talk comedies, romantic uh, comedies with Doris Day and yeah. Rock Hudson. Man, that's going <laughs> way back. That's what I was telling you. I was going to date myself. This guy, it was an old, well, I studied with this man. Wow. And he was just an awesome human being, first off. Uh, but he really understood film directing and the purpose of what a director's job was. It wasn't cinematography. First thing he made clear to me was that your job is not staring behind the lens of the camera and framing the shot. That's why you hired the cinematographer. The DP. Trust your yeah. cameraman. Yeah, trust your DP, exactly. He said, your job is to connect with the actors and help them give life and truth to what they're doing in the best way possible. So I took that to heart, and then from there, it's been, I've studied films, watching them. I, can't, mm -hmm. I won't even get into how many films I've seen. Uh, there was a period of time when I would watch three films a day. Uh, yeah, every day, uh, and I, if I liked it, I'd re-watch it, and I'd start examining it, because remember, you're looking through the camera, the yeah. director's eyeball, right? Mm -hmm. why, why is the camera there, and, and, or over here, yeah. you know, or up here, or down here, and, and once you understand uh, that that's the same applicability in terms of uh, angle that we use on stage. You just have a wider variety. It's pretty similar. It's very similar. Yeah. And, and when I understood that, because that's what lighting does on stage, it focuses the eye mm -hmm. where we want people to look on a broad scale, a broad shot, fully lit stage, or on a really tight romantic shot downright yeah. on stage, playing it soft and romantic. So, you know, it's the same thing uh, with camera usage, if you think about it that way. And so once I started getting why, I started making some sense of it. 
and trust this. <laughs> Man, I'm no great director. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of, of life and the arts. And uh, I, I, I'm just blessed that somebody uh, thinks it's worthwhile to watch and that actors trust me. <laughs> well, I love a line that I heard like 70, then this is going to lead me to my next question. 70% of directing is casting. Now, in that first movie that you just described, you didn't get to pick the cast because you came in after the movie had started shooting. What kind of a difference does it make for you as a director uh, playing a role in casting as opposed to your first film where I assume you did not have a role in who got cast? Absolutely, it makes a 100% difference. As a director, I am totally involved in casting for this reason. And I will cast an unknown. I want to see if you can take direction. So the first audition you do for me after you've taken the sides and you've studied them and you brought them back and you do something and I like you, I don't even look at your reel or your resume mm -hmm. until after I like you. Then if I like you, then I look at your resume, your reel or whatever, and then I will redirect you. I will give you redirection immediately. Now, depending upon how quickly you get that back to me, will spark my interest. Uh, the girl who I cast in The Evil Down the Street. Mm -hmm. Elena uh, Gerard. Elena Gerard, yes. Yep. Who played Katie. Uh, she played Katie. Mm -hmm. Her audition came in. I looked at it. I liked it. The producer and I, the producer knew these people personally. Craig Aarons knew these people on a personal level. He said, wow, that lady looks like the person. He was, and she's not a bad actress. And I said, well, let me see if I can work with her. So I gave her some extreme redirection. She got it back to me in an hour. Wow. An hour. I was like first very impressed and then said, well, okay, that's either an hour worth of some really serious crap or something really good. And uh, I saw it was good. She so could take direction. So that's my thing. Can I direct you? Can you take direction? Can you understand what I'm telling you? Mm -hmm. If I can communicate with you in that level, I'm going to cast you. And I really I really don't care about your reel or anything. Your reel should be good by now. I'm sure you spent a lot of money on it. Hopefully mm -hmm. it's good. <laughs> yeah. Now, the character of Katie in The Evil Down the Street, we she is possessed uh, by demonic entity. And that is told to us by Father Bob, your character in the movie, and, you know, she does a great job uh, when we see her, you know, because she goes in and out of possession, okay? And the way we know that is because when she is her normal self, she forgets about the stuff that she had done while being possessed. Uh, did you and Elena have to work closely together to get that vision right the way you saw it? Or did you see that she caught on really quickly to what you wanted to be seen on the screen? Actually, both. Uh, she had had the script ahead of time, and I had spoke to her uh, extensively over the phone prior to meeting with her. Uh, the first time that I met her was, on, was at set when we moved down there to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time, ironically, that I met my partner, Craig Ayers, for the first time. We planned the whole movie, uh, 11 months of pre-planning over the phone and on the internet. Mm -hmm. He lived in Orange County. I lived up here in the Sacramento area, Northern California. Now that's the norm. 
now that's the norm. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. And we've done four films that way. But back to her, uh, uh, we focused on what this person's faith is and where her weaknesses are. Because generally faith is tested not in your strengths, mm -hmm. about how much good you do, but in your weaknesses and how you deal with your weaknesses in a real life situation. Do you succumb to them? I so totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whether you, whether anybody knows it or not, did you eat the cookie? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so she understood that. And that weakness was her wanting to drink. And, and drink made her turn into this lustful person. Mm -hmm. And that generally for, for myself, the evil within us is that, those things we can't control. So that was metaphorically her uh, inner demon was the sure. booze. Absolutely. And how it destroyed her family, her lack of faith. But at the same time, was it? You know, here's a here's a question I'm going to pose to you and your audience, uh, and nobody has to respond. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in demons and ghosts and the supernatural? Now, hold that thought. If so, how could you not believe in God? Exactly. Absolutely. And and so, yeah, it's 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 a paradox, and it's a it's a it's a truth. If one is accepted as such, the other must be as well. Same dream goes. Do you believe in God? Oh yeah. Then you have to believe in the devil. Thank you. And light versus dark, good, bad, evil, etc. And we can beat that up with all kinds of different metaphoric symbols. Yep. And in this case, the Ouija board, the alcohol, the sex, and not that any of those necessarily are bad. No. It, it, it's it's not what goes on in the world, that all the things that come to you, it's how you react to them. Mm -hmm. That's where the responsibility lies. And obviously she could not react appropriately and could not. And the irony is it's based on a true story. That's what's the, the big horribleness about it. And when the original script was written, uh, Craig had shared his story with another person who wrote the script. And it was wild, full of uh, wall crawling and head turning and, you know, boogaboo that wasn't real. Hollywood baloney. Yeah, exactly. And he asked me to read the script. And I said, I gave my two opinions. I said, if this really happened, why would you put all this crap in there? Let's take all that crap out. And it happens 99% of the time that they put that yeah. in there. I said, I said that that's not, I said, it, I think it's scarier. If I was to come down some stairs and see my mom taking off her clothes in the corner mm -hmm. to some imaginary something, I would totally fucking freak out. Exactly. <laughs> And that was a great scene in the movie too, when you the, when the daughter caps goes down the stairs in the dark and sees her mom. There's nobody in front of her in the couch, but she is like doing a strip tease for someone we can't see. Yeah, I mean that would weird me out to no end. Uh, so we took all that out and wrote it straight, and uh, I I thought it played much better, and it really the. the Elena Gerard, I have to give it to her. It was a very hard role for her. The end scenes were very difficult for her, uh, and she put a lot into it. Uh, we had a time pressure. We shot it in uh, 13 days. Wow. 
yeah, uh, the people whose house we and the basement where we shot it at well, actually existed a hundred miles away. Really, from the from the house. Why was yeah. that done? Well, because the house didn't have a basement. <laughs> the, the original the original house we had the original set had an attic, and it was pretty cool. It was and it was perfect. The I think it was the day before, no, two days before, we were going to start shooting. He bagged on us, said oh. we couldn't use his house. Oh, we're geez. like, oh, you, you, all kinds of expletives, right? Uh, pretty, pretty pissed off. Uh, so Craig, as he is, is diligent. He got on his horse and found this place. It was an abandoned reform school up in the high desert, 100 miles away from where we're at. And it was an old house on the premises and a, a two-room basement at this place. Yeah. Totally weirded out place. He goes down there. He takes a bunch of footage to send to me because he's scouting, right? I get the footage back. And I'll share the footage with you if you want. I'll have Craig send it to you. Mm -hmm. Now, this basement has two rooms. There's no electricity. This is an abandoned house in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. There's orbs all over the place in this thing. Oh, my God. Well, I didn't see him until he sends it back. He didn't see him until he puts it on the computer. He calls me up. And he goes, dude, you ain't going to believe what I'm seeing right now. This place said, is really place? haunted. Totally weird. We, we got recorded sounds of the basement in the main facility downstairs in the bottom. You know the uh, scene where uh, Father Bob's office was? Yes. Okay. That was shot down in this abandoned basement, big, huge facility area. Where we could hear, we got the sounds, doors came up. The place was totally bizarre. Wow. You think no. that added to the authenticity of the moment? It certainly added to our fears. <laughs> I don't blame our you. makeup artist wouldn't work with us on another film. She goes, <laughs> she, 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 and she wanted, she said she would. We called her, she goes, yeah, but uh, uh, I don't know, man. She was ehaw and what's the matter? She was that was really weird. That I had never experienced anything like that. I didn't expect that. And I go, well, you know, she goes, but I thought it's just a food, but you guys are shooting horror films. I don't know if I want to do that. Oh well, yeah, there you go. And I'll tell you what's really even more funny, strange. Inside the main house where the library is. Remember the scene shot in the library? Uh-huh. There's a scene near the beginning where the dad walks in there and he grabs a book off the shelf mm -hmm. and talk with the wife. That book was not our prop. That library was not our set. That was the homeowner's original library, their books. The book that he grabbed, I don't know if you caught note of that, but and he didn't grab it on purpose, hadn't looked at that book. <laughs> this is we're just rehearsing this scene. It was so weird. He grabs it and take note of the book when you look at the film again, if you do. I would, just tell, tell, please tell us what it is. Okay. How to Marry a Demon. Ceremonies to Marry a Demon. Wow, that is freaky. And other stuff happened in that house that was just like, what? We were all upstairs shooting a scene in the bedroom. And this big mirror downstairs that's attached to the wall, attached to the wall. Not just hanging on a hanger. It's attached to the wall. Wham! Slides off to the ground. Big noise. Everybody runs down there. It's not broken. The, the attachments aren't broken. 
thing. It's it just looks unexplainable. Like backed him out and slid him down. That is so. That is. I would. We couldn't. Get, we we couldn't. We couldn't get out of there fast enough. <laughs> yeah. No wonder you guys finished it in thirteen days. Thirteen days. Now. Hey, was Kelton Jones cast before or after Elena, who plays Michael? Uh, yeah, Kelton. I'm trying to think. Did I cast Kelton first? I might have cast Kelton first because I know I saw his uh, audition and I liked his audition. He had a full beard at the time, mm-hmm. and I liked his audition, but not the beard. He looked too much like a a minister uh, out of the out of the West or something. Uh, so he was he was gracious enough to when he accepted the role to shave the beard, but I think I cast him first. Yeah, I think I did. I'm not did, I'm not certain. That's did uh, casting Elena play anything to do on how well the person you did cast for Elena would the chemistry they would have with Kelton? Yes, we had him read together, and I have to see that they're comfortable talking to each other, touching each other. It, it's you can tell when somebody's not. Uh, I was working on a film where one of the main actors, her husband, the guy who played her husband, she was so uncomfortable hugging him and kissing him. It was so obvious. Mm. Uh, we, we, it was, it was so difficult to shoot the scene. She, he would go up to her. <laughs> he was a big guy, but he'd go up to her and he'd touch her shoulders and he'd say, "But I miss you, dear." And he'd go to kiss her and she'd be like. <laughs> I was dying. I go, okay, wait a minute, wait. This isn't working. Let's stick a lemon in her mouth, make them lips keep a pooch out there or something. <laughs> but we worked it out. But yeah, uh, it can definitely get weird. They were comfortable with each other uh, right away. Kelton's an easy actor to work with. He's uh, very comfortable to work with. He he doesn't fight direction. He understands stuff. If he doesn't, under- and this is what I like about certain actors. They may not even understand why you want them to do what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. But they're so good at what they do that they just do it. And then afterwards they go, oh, okay, I see it. Yeah. You know, and that's when you know you're working with professionals. Exactly. And it's the actor having trust in the director and vice versa. True. You know, I, I definitely believe it. Now, let me ask you about the budget. Uh, did you have a really, really small budget for the evil down the street? Uh, yes. Compared, okay. Now, when I was watching the film, uh, you just explained it, but I thought uh, the subtle ending when it came to the cleansing, now I know it's because you wanted to not add all that Hollywood special effects, crawling the walls, and all that. You wanted to keep it realistic. How much of a factor was the budget a factor in the ending? Actually, it wasn't any. Because the way the script was written, there was a lot of dialogue and stuff that was exchanged between Father Bob and the demon. And the demon allowing uh, Katie to come in and out at certain points just to play on Father Bob. We were so pressed with time with our commitment to the homeowners on when we would get out. We were down to the wire that we had to readjust the script. They... (laughs) They needed their home back. Uh, we had been there like 14, 15 hours a day, straight, six days, you know, driving them crazy, right? Yeah. In their beds, in their kitchens, everything. We just like, we take over everything. Uh, and I, I warned them ahead of time, but, you know, 
Oh, we're going to put our house in the movies. How cool. Right? Yeah. And then, then reality you get there, day seven. When are you leaving? Is this going to take forever? <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, it is what it is. Now, uh, your character, Father Bob, okay, through the demon, when the demon is talking through Katie, she references a 12-year-old boy, you know, right. wetting the bed, and right. it references to, you know, it implies that Father Bob had a difficult childhood growing up. Something happened yep. to him, but it was never fully explained. Uh, was that how the script originally went, or was there a backstory in the script that ultimately when you were directing, you felt that it was better left unsaid? Um, originally, the script was written, Father Bob was a uh, wired-framed, glass-wearing, bald-headed, chubby old man. Friendly neighborhood, Father Bob. Hello. <laughs> Not me. No. Uh, and when I was asked to play the part due to economic insufficiencies, uh, Craig says, hey, man, why don't you play Father Bob? I said, ah, I don't know. I said, I really don't like the character. That's not me. And he goes, well, write it any way you want. And I said, well, all right. So I, what I really just did was change the backstory for it. Okay. So uh, you, I, I'm, yeah. So I, I made him the guy who grew up in the street, uh, come from the, the hood. His mom was a junkie, uh, had a tough life, uh, went to prison, tattooed himself with crosses, to keep evil out of his life, uh, drank, uh, you know, uh, he was who he was, you know, he cussed, he didn't, he wasn't all that nice a guy, he dealt with demons. Exactly. He wasn't concerned if you liked him or not. Now, so. the movie, like, you, uh, like it's noted in the beginning of the film, and you also said as well, is inspired based on a true story. Uh, without going into detail and protecting the people's privacy, did you actually get to talk to the people that were involved with the true story or did you, what kind of research well, did you do? Well, quasi the script was written before I met Craig, but let me give you a little backstory with how we mm -hmm. met. I was involved in that crazy film. I told you about for a long time. One of the guys on it, a man named Todd Chase kept telling me about Craig Aaron's, this filmmaker I should meet that he's straight up. He's a good guy. We'd get along. For about a year and a half, he hounded me. Finally, I said, all right, I'll meet him. Set up a meeting. So we met, and he was right. Craig Aarons is a stand-up guy. Uh, he was into the real deal. He said he had this script. Craig wrote the script. He knew these people personally. Okay. I didn't. So I accepted as truth what he presented, except for all the Hollywood, you know, mm -hmm. stuff. Absent that, I accepted it as truth. And that's when I said, wow, wow. Uh, how long? Did, and he knew him for quite a while. He knew the family for quite a while. He saw all some crazy stuff that went on. Uh, and that, to me, uh, was frightening. Uh, you know, if you, addicts and people who are demented from uh, drug use, extreme drug use, they're not right, and they do crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew this guy who thought uh, demons, not demons, but people who were trying to rip him off were coming out of his toilet, that they actually lived in a room down there. <laughs> I'm like, man, ain't you a little uh, worried when you sit down, man? 
But yeah, so how do you deal with that? Uh, I accepted it as truth. Now, here's the thing. Think about comedy for a minute. How crazy some of these antics are and whatnot, and what makes it really funny for you? It's when they play it for the truth of the matter. Yeah. They, yeah, when they really play it for the reality, that's when it's funny. That's why the Three Stooges were so damn funny. You know, they played it for the reality. Exactly. That makes total sense. Uh, now, I assume you were, you know, after the shoot was done, it goes into post-production. I assume as a director, you stayed with it, you know, throughout the post-production process. Uh, the uh, Going back to the ending through the cleansing, I guess we could say, of Elena, and then that final scene with the car pulling out of the driveway down the street, and we see the curtain on the second floor window, you know, closing like the demon is still there. Um, did you have to, you know, working with the editors, did you, did a lot of stuff end up on the cutting room floor or, you know, did you manage to put in everything that you wanted into the, into the film? Uh, two things. One, as to the actual ending, the cleansing aspect that you were referring to, that, uh, we had to cut around a lot of stuff. Okay, we had some issues with that. Uh, as to the actual ending, the drive away, the curtains, none none of that was through editing. Yeah, I have a great. I had the opportunity to work with a guy I really liked. His name's Dan Watt. Uh, he's done three films with us as a DP, and uh, he we set the shot up so that we could get it to look like exactly what you saw mm -hmm. like the demon's still alive in the house he's whatever because you can't kill a demon no you know how can you kill any spirit that's ridiculous and let me just tell you when you see the curtain closing as the car is pulling out with no words being said and the photo the you know the cinematography it tells us the audience the demon is still there but he's hiding He's hiding. And what does that tell us? Let's take it as a metaphor and a social statement for a moment. What does that tell us as a society? Our demons are never stopped, killed. They're always held at bay. Mm -hmm. The temptations that we have, whether it's because we want to eat more food, drink more booze, have more sex, or do more drugs, whatever the hell it is, mm -hmm. the temptations that we have never stop. We hold them at bay. Remember a statement I made earlier. It's all these things in our lives come at us. That's not it. It's how we react to them. Mm -hmm. That's it. So the statement there is that this, the demon is, as in all of us, always alive and willing to surface if we let it, if you feed it. You can feed that demon love and quell it, shut it the hell up, and it's done with you. Or you can feed it a lot of hate, misery, and grow it. And it'll become a monster. And it consumes take you. Over. Yep. Take you over. And, and it, so we write, when I'm writing, I try to infuse my writing not with didactic uh, dogma, you know, think my way or the highway and, and you know, it's all about God or I'm going to kill you. No. I, I love God. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a faithful believer straight up 100%. Mm -hmm. But that's my choice. Yeah. But in but in the films that we make, we do try to have a statement about love, yeah. caring, 
that's important. And all our films will always contain that. I hope never in a didactic manner. Uh, we, we try to quell that if it does surface. Our job is simple. Entertain, inform, and hopefully enlighten. And if we can just entertain, we've done our job. Yes. If the other two come around to be, right on. You know, we got the bonus going on. <laughs> so where does horror sit? In your personal preference, uh, have you always been a fan of horror? Is it something you learned to gain appreciation with as the years went on? I mean, tell us about you and the horror genre. I have watched horror movies since I was a kid. The first movie that ever scared me was the original Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. I saw it, I was, I think I was about six I was so scared I couldn't get out of my seat. I crapped my pants. <laughs> my brother sitting next to me was so disgusted. He's like, we went to the movies all the time. So I did. And <laughs> I mean, we worked for the weekends just to go to the movies, my brother and I. We were pretty poor. And, but he sits next to me. And he, <laughs> and I, he goes, is that you? What'd you do? I was so afraid of Frankenstein. Oh, man. And I've always loved horror movies, and I've seen all the classic horror movies straight out every time you know all of them, including all the Bs, uh, most of the B movies. But I'm not a Blood and Guts fan, even though I've seen Last House on the Left, uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which got me up out of my seat. Yeah. Uh, I lost where I was. Uh, and when I see reality movies like Last House on the Left, uh, it, 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 shocks, it shocks me. I can't handle, or I can't, I don't prefer to handle Blood and guts for blood and guts. You like psychological like, horror. Yes, I'm not into... Now, don't get me wrong. If there is killing and it's... Per, now, this sounds crazy. Purposeful. <laughs> then it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. Okay. Uh, let's say... Uh, let's just take a classic. The Wolfman. Mm -hmm. Okay. He can't help who he is and doesn't want to be who he is. But he has to be who he is. Yep. And he fights against who he is. But he knows he's going to kill you. And he warns you, leave. Yep. Lock me up. Very I'll true. kill you if you don't. And ultimately, he does that. Yeah. The rest of them are just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, all right, Dracula, okay, he's got a blood thing going on, man, I get that. You know, they rooted it in the history. You know, Frankenstein. Here's the most misunderstood monster of them all. When I first saw Frankenstein, I was scared because of the obvious. I was a kid. Mm -hmm. All right. And there he was. <laughs> but as the years went by, I realized the real monster in the original Frankenstein movie was Igor, the helper. When Frankenstein first came to life, the monster, he was innocent and ignorant, even though he had the mind of a madman, a killer. He was still innocent and ignorant because he had died. He had died. And when he comes up, he's just like, oh, oh. And he's gentle. And he's not fighting with the doctor or nothing. And that stupid Igor gets up to him and starts, bah, 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 poking at him and stuff. And he's, oh, God, oh, oh. and then he starts with the fire. Remember when he meets the little girl? Mm -hmm. Sure, classic scene. That's the whole purpose. And he sees the little girl, and the girl's not afraid of him. And the girl goes, hello, hi, no. you want a flower? And he gets all, because it hit his innocence. I think Frankenstein is the most 
the most sympathetic of all the monsters a werewolf. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And they and the town's village and the ignorance and everything else made him the monster and ultimately he be, has to become that to protect himself. You know, the other night on Svenguli, Svenguli, the other night on Svenguli, they played Son of Frankenstein. Bela Lugosi plays Igor, yeah. Boris Karloff plays the monster, Basil Rathbone plays the son of Dr. Frankenstein, comes back, brings him back to life extremely well acted the sets are gorgeous it 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 gets a little hard because they don't put music to everything mm -hmm. and not like most movies now where we use music so much yeah. you know to pull the uh, the emotions and keep them in the in the movie you know but that didn't it worked on light movement sound was very scarce but it was a very well done movie. It was a long movie too, very long movie, but extremely well done. How do you how do you compete with those nowadays? Um, Alien, scary movie, and look how little they showed the monster at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, you got glimpses of when he first you know, burst out of the chest. I mean, it's just yeah, this exactly. little tiny thing. Yeah, I loved Alien. I thought it was a scary movie, you know. But all my life, yes, I Exorcist, I loved it when it first came out. I went home. I was a grown man already. Went home and uh, thinking about <laughs> uh, The Exorcist scared me, you know. Uh, Amityville Horror, okay. And you know what scared me as a little kid? This is going to sound ridiculous, but The Flying Monkeys in The Wizard of Oz. Oh, are you kidding? My wife to this day is terrified by them. <laughs> That terrified me. But they were scary. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about 1939. Yeah, and look what they're doing. They, they gut the scarecrow. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a horrendous scene. Horrendous scene. Yeah, uh, and, so, the, and The Wizard of Oz is not a horror movie. I mean, you know, it's not... Well, are you sure? I don't know. I mean, it scared it's me. It's a fantasy. It's certainly a fantasy. You know, but... but Think about some of the great types of fantasies, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. You know, a drug-induced crazy dream, you know, with people getting their heads chopped off and, you know, mm -hmm. caterpillars smoking dope and coming alive. I mean. Yeah, you're right. Those are, if you really look at the core of these movies, like The Wizard of Oz, uh, Alice in Wonderland, they are kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the old cartoons. Uh, I have, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I taught for a, a lot of times, and I had a Saturday morning contracts class I was teaching to graduate students, and I, it was at 8 a.m. Uh, so I tell them, look, I get up and watch cartoons. You, know, okay? you stimulate the brain, right? Yeah. So I tell them to watch certain cartoons, and if they came and they told me what the cartoon was about, I'd give them extra credit. So, <laughs> But the cartoons are extremely sophisticated, and the jokes are adult jokes. Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. If you oh, yeah. listen to what they're saying, you're like, what? <laughs> it, it's crazy, man. I remember so, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what are your feelings? Uh, like Frankenstein is a good example. It's been redone on TV and movies. Robert De Niro played I, the, the, you know, Frankenstein's monster. What are your feelings, you know, taking classics like that and rebooting them? Difficult. It's a I think, yeah. I, you're putting. You're taking on a big responsibility. 
Yeah, you are. Uh, the problem to, that you need to overcome is how the monster loses its evilness. Mm -hmm. You see, what happened with Frankenstein is it became play. You know, pretty soon they met Abbott and Costello. You know, and we went on and on and on. It, Mel it Brooks did a young Frankenstein. Thank you. I love that film. But I do yes, too. exactly. And then we had the monsters. Mm -hmm. Let's just really sum it up. Uh, so once you take out that scare, uh, what are you going to do with that now if you try to redo it? It's difficult. Not only that, the original, taking something original, and how do you how do you redo that? I mean, it, it, it was such a difficult thing. Star Trek, uh, as an example of techno technology, one of the few types of films that can do that. Mm-hmm. Because they can continue to redo greater technology and, and the imagination that way works much differently on computers than it does, you know, with film. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think uh, it's like Dracula. I, we have an idea for a Dracula film that we were thinking about, a vampire film. Like how many vampire films have you seen? A lot. And, oh, my God. There's so and I, I got to tell you, I'm like. I really don't want to do a vampire film. I mean, come on. It's like, what else can we do differently that has not been done? Exactly. It gets crazy after a point. We did a film called The Crubs. Mm -hmm. And it's out there right now. And it's a twist on a, a lot of sick people in the world uh, and how what we do to survive, how humanity is. And, uh, you know, there's cannibalism in it, there's incest, uh, there's some things going on in this film. But we tried to create characters that interact in such a way that we bring their humanity out that's appreciated mm -hmm. and understood. Now, that's kind of difficult when you got a family of murdering yep. incestual people. <laughs> Like trying to find sympathy for the Sawyer family in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know? Thank you very much. How do you do that? Well, we, we think we got pretty close. So some of the best comments I've heard about the crowns was, you know, at the end, I, I felt like I didn't feel like I should hate them or not like them. I kind of liked them. <laughs> and that was the point of the film. I wanted to get people to think about themselves, mm -hmm. you know, how we judge people. And, you know, so, so if I showed you this little old grandma who made cookies for everybody and occasionally she slit the throat of a bad guy, would you still hate her? <laughs> you know, we do what we have to do. Exactly. We're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, if you were to go back 20 years in the last 20 years, is there a director that, you know, inspires you that you really enjoy their work. Now, you know, you are a director. You do view movies from a director's point of view. Is there a director whose style that you really find inspirational? Well, you know, there's all the great directors, Scorsese, De Palma. We can go on and on and on and on and on, uh, everybody out there. But the one director that always made me think twice about how he did something was uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Ooh, uh, good one. And, and the reason being is Alfred had a, a, a thing about continuity. 
uh, he hated cuts. He hated to cut f- film. So he liked, Take, you mean editing or like shooting long scenes? Shooting long scenes. Ah. Shooting scenes. There's a film he did called Rope. Okay. Mm-hmm. He has, I think, two, two cuts in the entire film. Damn. It's a feature from the beginning to the end. And uh, Jimmy Stewart's in it. There's a, a couple other great actors that are in it. And it's about uh, just briefly two guys who murder somebody uh, and to prove they can try to get away with it. And they uh, stuff them inside of a chest that they decorate to have a dinner party over with. And all the food and everything's put on this chest, you know, like a cloth. And, and the whole thing goes on. It's called Rope. Great movie. But everything else he did, he always looked at how can I continue the shot and keep it so that the eyeball doesn't feel like it's being taken from here to there to here to there to here to there. You know, all that clippiness and uh, it, it, it gets rough on the eyeball. Mm-hmm. The eyeball likes to move calmly and see things and make sense of stuff. It doesn't matter if it's fast as long as it's still making sense. And by that, I mean it's not disjointed. Exactly. Cut. Disjointed cut, disjointed cut, and and I think he had that sense of expectation with what somebody wants to look at. I mean, take Psycho, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how many shots it took to get that uh, chop scene, the stabbing scene inside the shower. Wow! Incredible amount of shots he took over a period of a week to get that one scene. Yes. And, and that's the type of stuff, you know, as, as they say, uh, I think it was Carcese said, it's the little things, mm-hmm. the details, the details. My friend, my partner, Craig Aarons, madman about that, supervises all the editing with our work. Uh, little tiny stuff, a tenth of a second, something, well, look what happens. I love that. That's, that's crazy. Because all those little details add up. Absolutely, they become a big detail. <laughs> and, and I think the art of the long shot—it's uh, they're trying to. More directors are trying to embrace it. I feel uh, I see it now more and more, and I notice it that it's there's no cut. It's the camera following the sequence, the people going from one room to the next, and uh, whatnot. You know, if you've seen the film The Crumbs, our film The Crumbs, the opening shot, the opening scene was five scenes we shot in one take together, one nice. take. All the way to where the big guy, Lenny, grabs the club after strangling the guy upstairs, grabs the club downstairs and is getting ready to run out to the lab and help the doctor. From the beginning inside the car, when it first starts, all the way pulling into the driveway, out of the car, into the house, and all, everything they do, and including up the stairs, is all preset, these... I like to work with numerous cameras. I always do. And my camera people were so on it. They were so, we, we walked through it a couple times. And I said, now remember, once you get out of this spot, you got to get out of the frame. You got to run around yeah. back and pick up this position. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. One take. At nice. the end of that take, the entire set exploded. People just, wow, they couldn't believe because I said, folks, we don't have a lot of time. It's late. <laughs> this is it. We got one shot. They did it. it and was you, so nailed it. you nailed yeah, it. You nailed it. Five major scenes from exteriors, interiors, including cars, and moving upstairs and downstairs. When you look at it again, 
keep that in mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna look okay. at it again. Now before okay. we go, uh, is do, what's uh, what's should we look out for that's coming out from uh, you and well, your company? We have two new films on the way. One of them hopefully will be released in about the next two to three weeks, okay. and it is called Love and Quarantine. It is a romantic horomedy. Okay, romantic <laughs> horror comedy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> horomedy. Uh, we hope so anyway. We'll find out. Uh, Love and Quarantine, that was shot up here in the Sacramento area. Our other film is called Demon Fighter, and we're very charged up this about this film. It uh, stars John Azuna. Mm -hmm. He currently can be seen playing the Scarecrow in uh, um, uh, Matrix, and he also appears in, uh, no, that's not Matrix, it's uh, uh, Venom. Venom. That's right. Okay. Okay. The new Venom release. Yes. He plays growing that, but he's also in Matrix. The new Matrix Four is coming out. He's in that as well. John Azuna, uh, Master John Azuna, I shall say. Uh, so we're excited about that film as well. That should be out just before Christmas. That's awesome. Two movies coming out just be be before the end of the year. David, yeah. we are out of time. This is this hour flew by. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation to Thank talk you. about the, your movies, the evil down the street, horror, movie, filmmaking. We got the whole package. I want to thank you so much. Any final thoughts you want to share before we go? Yes, you can catch us on Amazon, IMDb TV, Tubi TV, and Roku. Exactly. You can catch our movies on there, The Evil Down the Street, and The Crumbs on those stations, those and channels. The, and The Evil Down the Street is available with ads on uh, Amazon, Tubi. It's, IMDb TV, exactly. Roku, all those, as well as The Crumbs, both of yeah. them. Check them out. Great movies. David, thank you so much. I want to thank, thank our... It was my pleasure. This has been such a fun hour. Uh, thank you to our entire audience who's watching it live and will watch this archive. Thank you to David Espinosa again for being our guest. Till next time, guys, on behalf of David and myself, stay safe and stay walking. Good night. Thank you, folks. Peace.